who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Where old stories take on a new life and the world is teeming with possibilities. Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with. Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 365. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week, we bring you This Secular Technology by Bogi Takash. Bogi's a Hungarian Jewish author, a psycholinguist, and a popular science journalist. Her speculative fiction and poetry has been published or is forthcoming in venues like Apex, Strange Horizons, Gigantosaurus, and more. She also has a story in the upcoming Sword and Mythos Lovecraftian anthology. This story was previously published in the anthology Mirror Shards, Volume 2, Extending the Edges of Augmented Reality, by Black Moon Books. The story is guest produced this week by Andy Gray. Andy's a full-bearded musician and artist hailing from St. Petersburg, Florida's shining bastion of hipsterdom amidst a sea of redneckiness. His funk rock band Trigger City Trio recently released their debut album and is planning on touring the country in their minivan. Check them out at Facebook at TriggerCityTrio.com. All of the music and sound effects to this week's story are by Andy himself. Reading the story, we have Colleen Cherry. Colleen's an actor, singer, musician, producer, and voiceover artist also based in St. Petersburg. She's a founding member of Avant Guardian at AvantGuardian.com, an incubator, producer, and advocate of theatrical and artistic works. She's one half of the Best of the Bay award-winning cabaret duo Coco and Homo, as well as singer, songwriter, ukulele superstar of acoustic duo The Colleen and Andy Show. And you might have even heard her voice coming out of your TV at 2 a.m. trying to sell you something for $19.99. That might just have happened. So, without further ado, we bring you This Secular Technology by Bogi Takash.
Leia woke up, set the blessing upon waking, then turned on her overlay with a mental command. She hissed with displeasure. It was a Gavora day again. She was supposed to contemplate restriction, discipline, withdrawal. She was beginning to wonder if her teachers were doing this on purpose. The assignments were said to be random, but she no longer believed in randomness. Her sole root was in Hesed, the diametric opposite of Gavora, and she found Gavora days draining at best, excruciatingly painful at worst. On the upper bunk, Ruthie was yawning and stretching. Leia grimaced. Ruthie would be pleased about another Gevura day. Couldn't they just swap their assignments? Leia went through her morning routine. The prayers were highlighted in all the wrong places. Blessed are you, Hashem, our Lord, King of the world, that you did not make me a slave. Just the general mention of slavery was sufficient to make Leia feel uncomfortable. Yes, of course, she was grateful to Hashem that she was not made a slave, but still, she did not want to be reminded of the concept. She knew she was supposed to contemplate it, but after three straight days of Gevura, she really needed a break. How much more, Hashem, she thought. She wondered if she should just quit the training program. Her abilities were not as disruptive as Ruthie's, and she felt that nothing she learned helped her to function better in day-to-day life. She was fed up with the overlays. Ruthie stumbled through the room on her way to the bathroom without a care in the world. Leia could have kicked her. Hesed was supposed to be full of mercy. She was feeling very far from her soul root. Ruthie said between two mouthfuls of Kellogg's cornflakes, the only kosher brand one could get a hold of on the station. Just as Leia thought of this, her overlay offered a helpful pop-up. Certified by the Manchester Bait Dean, it said. Manchester was also very far, three jump points from the station halfway across the galaxy. So, what do you think? Ruthie said. Leia looked at Ruthie scathingly and decided not to offer commentary on her eating habits. How could someone so untidy, unruly, and non-conforming have her sole root in Gevura, the epitome of restriction? Yes, she said as coldly as she could manage. I was just, Ruthie slurped, asking if you'd already picked your phrase for contemplation today. She fixed her gaze on her bowl. Leia knew she'd embarrassed her. She felt a spark of satisfaction, then immediately felt bad about it. At least her overlay did not provide her with a pop-up about the repentance. No, Leia said, no. I have something from Yeshayahu. There is a part where he says, you are my witness, Vehule, and then it says, Ve'abdi asher b'charte leman tedu v'tamenuli, Vehule. I like that a lot, but it's a bit too long. Maybe we could split it up? Leia automatically translated for herself and my servant whom I have chosen so that you would know and believe me. She was irked by Ruthie's every single habit. Her Israeli pronunciation, her heavy glottal stops, her constantly saying vechule instead of etc. And she prayed so loud every single morning. Sure, we could split it up, she said. I like Veabde Asher Baharte better, so I'm going to give that part to you and focus on the rest I don't like that much. Ruthie beamed at her. Huh? How about that? 
and my servant whom I have chosen. Servant, slave, the same word. Is there something wrong? Ruthie blinked. Did I say something wrong? I'm sorry. No, no, Leah lied. I'm just tired is all. In the end, she did not have the heart to turn down Ruthie's offer. This phrase was as good as any. She went out to the cavernous garden module for her prescribed morning contemplation. Her overlay highlighted the strangest things. A fence, she assumed because of its restrictive aspect. A bird seed dispenser, that was especially counterintuitive. Dispensing something would be a chesed activity. Maybe it was highlighted because while it dispensed bird seed, it also withheld some. But wouldn't a balance between Hesed and Gavura be associated with Tiferet instead? She was confused. She tried not to venture outside on Gavura days, not after that incident with the airlock, so this was mostly new to her despite today being the, she had to look it up, 23rd Gavura day since she'd enrolled in the program a bit more than three months ago. An entire year focusing on these mystical Kabbalistic correspondences, and that's just the beginning. She thought her brain would melt. She reminded herself to get back to the topic. She never felt particularly coerced by her regular observance, and she definitely never felt like an Aved Hashem, a servant of Hashem, a slave. The closest she came to appreciating the concept was when she was doing these annoying exercises that started the first thing in the morning when she opened her eyes. She stopped in her tracks. Why would people say the morning blessing for not having been created a slave if Jews were all slaves of Hashem. Hashem himself said so in the words of his prophet Yeshayahu. This seemed like such a basic contradiction and yet she had no idea of the answer. She shook her head and wondered if she should just message her rabbi. I was looking all over for you, Ruthie said. Why did you hide your lock? I didn't, Leah protested. Then she realized she had indeed done just that. Why, when? She did not even remember doing it. According to her logs, she, whatever, I found you, Ruthie said and smiled at her, all of her large, chippy teeth showing. Look, I really have to show you this. Leah winced. On a Gavura day, this had to be a Gavura thing. Why did Ruthie have to be her roommate, of all people? At least Ruthie was usually busy being too cheerful to pay attention to Leah's thoughts. Leah wished to hide all her thoughts in a dark corner of her mind behind a thick brocade curtain. It's not an air leak, right? Like last time? No, no, it's not, I promise. Bleenader, she added, the caveat that she was not making a formal oath. Bleenader? Leah wanted to kick Ruthie. Look, it's going to be totally awesome, Ruthie said as she ran along the corridor, the metallic floor panels clanging under the soles of her shoes. You just wait! Then the alarms went off. Ruthie swore loudly. The large gash on her knee was already closing, her systems running the self-repair process, but there was a lot of blood. Her long flowing skirt was tainted with large splotches, dark on the cheerful sky blue. She looked faint. Can you stand? We really need to go, Leia said. That was an evac signal. Why can't you watch where you're going? The alarm surprised me, Ruthie responded to her thoughts. She grimaced and stood. Why are these plates just jutting out from the walls? Ugh. She took a few unsteady steps. This is an access tunnel, not a playground, Leia snapped. Come on, let's go. Which way? Oh. She called up a map. 
Her overlays with the mystical correspondences covered the escape routes. It was her turn to swear. What? Ruthie looked puzzled. I can't turn this thing off. I can't see the escape routes on the map because the correspondences are getting in the way. Huh? They are not supposed to obscure anything. Take it easy, Ruthie advised, standing in a pool of her own blood. You're just nervous. Leia wanted to throw up. Then she made up her mind, spun around on her heels, and started marching down the corridor. She could feel Ruthie's hesitation like eyes on her back, but then her roommate fell in step, still stumbling. It would take at least 10, 15 minutes for the wound to heal. It's no good, Leia said, close to tears of frustration. We can't get through to the docks. All the utility tunnels have been sealed. Can't you just blow this open? She gestured at the large bulkhead. Like the last time with the airlock, Ruthie was bitter. That went well. Leia shrugged. What is the emergency anyway? How should I know? For all I know, it's yet another fire drill. Ruthie blinked, accessing her interface. Shadim. What? You mean, look at the reports if you don't believe me, Ruthie yelled. Inbound from planet side, a whole bunch of them. Leia did not know how to respond. Shadim were reasonably common in the solar system, but the station was supposed to be highly shielded, and there were active defenses further out. They should not have gotten this close, she finally said. I know. We have to tell the others we cannot get through. Maybe they can still lift the gates. The two of them began to send out a flurry of messages, only to get error messages in return. Ruthie tisked. It's no good. They're interfering with comms. Can they do that? Leia was not sure. They can pass through walls. They can do pretty much ev. Ruthie shuddered and fell on her knees, then toppled forward and barely managed to hold her arms out in time to land on all fours. What's wrong this time? Ruthie! Interference, she said, gasping. Her arms buckled and she fell face first on the floor. But I'm not feeling anything. Leia tried to drag Ruthie upright. Her body was unexpectedly heavy. Custom work. My systems, they haven't been fine-tuned yet. It's for the psychokinetic... Her muscles went limp. Ruthie! Don't die on me! Don't you dare! Ruthie! Leia held her with one arm, straining against the weight. What was her body made of? And slapped her face with the other, to no avail. The tears of frustration finally began to flow. Ruthie was unconscious, lying on the floor with her head in Leia's lap. Leia could feel the Shadim were getting close even if she could no longer access the station's status reports. Such evil creatures. The two of them should at least get someplace safe. She would not be able to carry Ruthie, she could drag her at most, and they could not exit the utility tunnels. She opened her map again, tried to strain her mind's eye to make out the details. It was hopeless. All she could see were the markings indicating features of the map important for Givora. Why were there so many of them anyway? They were down in a sub-basement. What was down here? She choked on her breath. The armory. They were right next to the armory. Hashem's left hand that meets out strict justice, a flaming sword. All Givora correspondences. Why was she so busy trying to ignore the signs? The armory could save them. She would only need to drag Ruthie a few steps, or maybe more than a few. It hurt her soul to see her friend like this, but there was no use crying over that. 
She had to muster all her strength to pull Ruthie by the arms, and Ruthie's heels kept on getting stuck in the gaps between floor panels. Ruthie's ankles twisted. No time. Her systems could do all that repair once they got to the armory. Evora was all about doing what had to be done, unhesitatingly, unflinchingly, unfeelingly, Leia thought. Just a few more steps. She stepped to a featureless gray weapons cabinet and was surprised to see it open in response to her mental command. Behind her, Ruthie coughed. She was coming too. High time, Leia grimaced. The cabinet was filled with canisters, all alike and indistinguishable upon visual inspection. She looked at the readouts. Again, her Kabbalistic overlay obscured the important information. She wanted to stomp her feet, but she felt too weary to do even that. One of the aspects of Gavura was Dean, judgment. She decided to treat the noise as signal and grabbed the most judgmental looking canister and broke the seal. With extreme prejudice, she muttered to herself. What? Ruthie was trying to stand. She almost toppled and had to grab a neighboring cabin to steady herself. Do you want to use that? Am I psychokinetic? I want you to use it. Ruthie closed her eyes and put her forehead to the locker's pull front. Like last time, she gasped her breath. You ruined my ankles. Look, if you're not going to use this, we'll just die anyway. Leia surprised even herself. Where was this ferocity coming from? Her frustration and annoyance were all gone, transformed into a slow-burning rage. We'll die either way, Ruthie said wearily. That thing is symbiotic, and it takes half an hour to bond. Is there anything else? I doubt you'll be able to use a rocket launcher against the Shadim. Ruthie pushed herself away from the locker. Give that to me. She took the canister gingerly. Okay, now you need to tie me up. What? Do you want me to injure myself? I will thrash. What do you think? Leia looked around in desperation. Restraint. Such a Gavora concept. Normally, her eyes would have slid off the bright red markings in unconscious, instinctive rejection, but now she needed to seek them out. There was a bag full of large straps on the bottom shelf of the locker. She grabbed it, tore it open, looked around again. A large fold-down panel for repairs. She stepped to the wall, pulled down the panel. Various pieces of equipment popped out from the wall and onto the panel, leaving her with a well-equipped workshop. She swept everything off the flat surface, various pieces of hardware clattering to the ground, losing their shape as their programming realized they were unneeded. She got Ruthie to lie down on the panel and she pulled up the corners into bars, commanded them to solidify in position, then used the strap to tie Ruthie down. Act. Do not think. She knew if she were to pause for a second, she would break down and cry. My head, too, Ruthie said. I'd rather not bang it into the panel. She drew in a sharp breath, but proceeded to jury-rig a solution regardless, her hands working swiftly. Ruthie was completely immobilized. Okay, now get a knife and make a vertical cut along my chest. Her mind would not even process the order at first. She blurted out completely inconsequentially, Won't you bite your tongue off? I can lock my jaw. Quick, make the cut. That thing senses the blood that starts the bonding process. Ruthie's clothing split open in response to her command. Leia only had to cut the flesh. 
she unclipped her small poly valve from her belt and flicked it into a knife configuration. She leaned over Ruthie, who'd closed her eyes and waited in silence. Leia's hands trembled and she grappled with her systems to find the command to suppress the tremor. So much fear. Another of Gabura's aspects, Pahad, fear. Deal with it, she told herself, then use it. How deep should I cut? Even her voice shook. Just a surface wound, it just needs the scent of blood. And this is what we need to fight the Shadim, this secular technology. How long? A good long cut, whatever, just do it. Okay, you might want to lock your jaw. She touched the tip of the blade to Ruthie's sternum. She gagged. Use the fear. The blade glowed with the burning red overlay of Gavura. She pressed down, only slightly, then pulled the knife along the straight line. A very clean cut, the wound knitting itself together as she watched. Pull it apart, Ruthie thought at her. She dropped the knife and obeyed. Then she lifted the canister, unscrewed the lid, and held it above the wound before it closed. Something half fell, half jumped out of the canister. It was larger than she'd imagined it to be. It set upon the flesh, burrowed in with a ripping sound. Its mental imprint was so strong, Leia could not help being drawn in. The creature was full of desire, of need, pure hunger. It grabbed a hold of the solar plexus, ran up and down the nerves, made its way down the spinal column, up into the brain with an animal kind of single-minded determination. Ruthie screamed. I thought you'd lock your jaw, Leia muttered with sudden annoyance. How like Ruthie. Then she looked closer and through the haze of Gevora, she realized Ruthie's muscles were tensed so much her bones would have snapped had they not been specially reinforced. Was she here to train for this? All the nonchalance, all the messiness, just a facade? Who was Leia to judge her? How much pain can a person take? Leia felt like she was about to get to know the answer. She did not want to do this to her roommate, to her friend. The Shadim swarmed closer, attracted to human suffering. They wanted to feed. Time was running out. She tried to tune into the process to estimate the remaining time until the successful bonding. Is this even reversible? The bright arcs of pain had faded and the symbiote was worming its tiniest tendrils into the flesh, spreading out in a fractal pattern like the branches of a tree. She saw a shadow from the corner of her left eye. She spun around. The Shadim were approaching. They weren't strong enough yet. They were barely visible and they would shy away from direct observation. She stared at them, tried to will them away, but she could sense them crowding around the armory. The walls began to glow with invisible lines, automatically highlighted for her. Restriction, again. Wards keeping out the intruders? In any case, they weren't strong enough, or rather, there were too many of the shading, for even though the wards proceeded to suck up their energy, there was still plenty left. Ruthie groaned. Leia probed gently and saw she was not conscious. Less than ten minutes had passed. All of this was in vain. She needed to accelerate the process, even despite the risk. Being permanently damaged was still better than being dead, she thought, with some part of her mind, while another part recoiled from the cold calculation in horror. If she had to surrender the, to the pain herself, accept the sacrifice like Yitzhak at the Akeda, she would have gladly done it to save Ruthie. But to offer up another, she wanted to be there 
tied down and torn apart. But she did not have the capability. She was not psychokinetic. She was, Hashem, I'm just a girl who's aware of other people's minds. How did I get into this mess? She frantically squirreled through an inventory list. Something, anything. On her skin, she could feel the air temperature dropping. Ruthie coughed, coming to. Cabinet five, she said, on the top shelf. Then her consciousness winked out again. Too late, too late. Leia jumped to the cabinet. The top shelf was filled with ampules. Which one? No answer. Ruthie! She grabbed one of the ampules highlighted for her. I hope it won't give her a heart attack, she thought. What do I do with this? The crest of another wave. Ruthie spoke. The elbow. I have a port. Which elbow? Again, too late. She tore at her clothing, ripped off her sleeve. It was either the right one or she had the induction ports on the inside of both elbows. She popped open the latch. One end of the ampule fit right in. She pressed it in, turned it until she heard the click. Whatever was inside was sucked into the bloodstream. She had indeed picked the right ampule. Whatever it was, the substance cranked up the growth process so much she could feel it herself. She shuddered. Another large burst, another arc of pain. She realized with horror that Ruthie was conscious again, the ebb and flow hitting another high point just when the growth surge launched. Ruthie keened like a dog. At the door, Shadim were massing for an assault. Cut me loose. At first, Leia did not even realize Ruthie wanted something from her. She looked in no shape to form a coherent thought, and yet she was. She cut the straps, fumbling and coming close to dropping the knife twice. Her whole body was shaking and her vision swam in tears in the red hot fire of Gavura. As soon as Leia was done, Ruthie tried to get off the panel, but she could not maintain her balance and she fell with her full weight on Leia. Leia grabbed her, staggered back, then sat down heavily. The floor was icy cold. Ruthie shuddered in her entire body and Leia could feel the process had not yet run its course. She held Ruthie close to herself, tried to whisper words of comfort. There was no time. Ruthie tried to extricate herself, fell forward on all fours, then lost her balance altogether. She lay on the ground, panting. Leia could sense she came perilously close to fading into unconsciousness again. Pull me up, Ruthie thought. Leia scampered to her fallen body, tried to pull her upright, supporting her weight with her entire body. The Shadim lured them with words of darkness. So close. Her mind was jumping in utterly incongruous directions. This is surely not how the ancients defended themselves. Nitkatnuadarot, Ruthie whispered. The generations have become smaller. The Talmudic expression for people becoming less and less observant, less and less wise. Then, only the earth shattering and yet inaudible sound of the wards breaking down, the howls of the Shadim streaming inward, entering the bubble of silence. Ruthie strained against Leia's arms and shouted something in Hebrew, but Leia could no longer make out the words. Pure, melting hot force ran along Ruthie's spine, an axis of murderous light connecting above to below. Leia knew she'd needed to let go, but couldn't. They would both burn. All would be for naught. Ruthie pushed her away, teetering on her legs, then she lifted her arms, still unsteady, and with an outstretched hand, brought justice down from the higher realms. 
Her silhouette was burned into Leia's mind like the outlines of people burned into walls after a nuclear explosion. Leia fell, fell, and would not rise for a long time. Ruthie, or whatever was left of her, was lying on her back, gargling with blood. She crawled to her and pushed her to the side so that she would not suffocate in her own vomit. What was that about the recovery position? She was blacking out herself, struggling to recall the first aid lessons back when they'd arrived at the station. If her neck's broken, Hashem, I might have just killed her. Then darkness claimed her once again. She was being tied to a stretcher. She struggled to sit up, but a large hand pushed her down. She turned her head. There were several people in bright red coveralls striped with glowing neon yellow crowded around the place where Ruthie's body had lain. She was there, but Leia could not see her from the paramedics. She could not feel her mind. She started to wail, but then there was a small hiss, and even her vocal cords would not obey her any longer. She fell this time into pure, soft, white light. Her mind returned before her sense of her body, leaving her thoughts to spin around faster and faster, spinning in place. She struggled to open her mouth. She could feel she was not alone in the room. She had to speak. Is she dead? She finally managed to gasp. No, the man sitting in the back of the small room said, but with a strange undertone she could not interpret. You saved both of your lives, the man said. He was clean-shaven. An outsider? Someone free altogether, or maybe modern orthodox? Such resolve. He did what had to be done, most people would have hesitated. It took Leia a moment to realize he was praising her. How was she supposed to respond? It was a Gavora day, she said, not having anything better to say. He did not understand. Definitely an outsider, Leia concluded. In similar situations, people often shy away from helping. She could feel he'd seen a lot. She tried to gain a measure of him. Some kind of specialist called into... Who are you? He coughed. Oh, I'm sorry. I haven't introduced myself. Jacob Klein. Jewish or German? Leia wondered. Bioweapons expert for the Allied military. My department engineers symbiotic life forms for psychokinetic operatives. Such a well-practiced turn of phrase. He did these introductions often, she realized with a small startle. Are you here to? Yes, I'm here to assist with your friend's reconstruction. She's been through a lot. No, no, he raised his hands placatingly. Don't worry, everything is going according to schedule. She's going to be all right, as much as possible given the circumstances. A full recovery might take years, but so far, she's on track. She eyed him skeptically, but as far as she could tell, he was telling the truth. Look, half an hour is the absolute minimum for the merge. It's not meant to be accelerated. It can be accelerated, yes, but it's not meant to be accelerated. He sounded apologetic. She sat up with difficulty, pulled up her pillow, and put her back against it. She did not know what to say. She was stalling for time. The two of you did it in just under 18 minutes, he said. It's a miracle there was enough functioning to mount an attack. He looked away but that's not what I'm here to discuss. I'm here to tell you something. Me? We have a lot of reports from battlefield situations, he went on, ignoring the question. This type of weaponry is extremely effective, but... He cleared his throat. 
The other soldiers are the ones not taking it well, not even as far as to assist. Installation usually happens away from the front, but there's still an amount of field maintenance necessary, and then there are the possible injuries. He stood up and started to pace. He had trouble keeping his eyes on her. This will sound heartless, but these days the military often tries to assign them assistants or buddies with a psychopathic streak, the kind that usually keeps you out of the army, simply because other people, people with a measure of empathy, do not have the resolve. But I'm not psychopathic, right? Right? Panic rushed through her, clearing out her stuffy head. From what I see, you are not only a gentle young woman, you are also telepathic. Yet you've gone ahead and done it. He shook his head in disbelief. I need you to understand this, he turned to her. Don't feel bad about your actions. You've made the right choice. All the right choices. The Akeda, she whispered. He did not even know the word. Hashem told Avram to offer up Yitzhak as a sacrifice, and Avram Avinu went ahead with it. He still drew a blank. In the Torah, Avram Yitzhak. She felt a familiar annoyance. Ah, he said, Abraham and Isaac. I see. He scratched his head. It was uncovered. For his sake, I hope he's German, not Jewish. I definitely see the analogy, but even still, there was hardly a voice from God on high in your case. It was day, she stubbornly repeated. I just did what my overlay told me to do. She paused, realizing that some explanation was in order. I'm here to learn all these correspondences. Correspondences? Kabbalistic correspondences. Like the attribute of Yitzhak is Gevorah. Strictness, restriction. Discipline, that's a better word. Even bravery. Ah, and you're studying these correspondences. Yes, my interface highlights them in... She waved a hand around. My environment in this way, it's supposedly faster. But, he frowned, if we take the analogy one step further, you're not Isaac. You are Abraham. You offered up someone else. Her breath stuck in her chest. He did not notice as he went on. For him, this was a fascinating but ultimately alien topic. A chat with someone from a foreign culture. They were as far apart as two people could be while still speaking the same language. What corresponds to Abraham? He asked in all innocence. I said, she muttered, mercy, loving kindness. And what corresponds to you? For a long while, she could not answer. She just sat there in the infirmary bed, tears rolling down her cheeks. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's close things out this week with our 100-character story winner by Drabblecast Foramite Spare Inch. Here goes. The last living creature in the world sat alone in a room. He smiled as he heard the click of heels in the corridor outside. One hundred character stories, not counting spaces. We call them twabbles because we pick a winner each week to post out in our 
Twitter feed, at the Drabblecast. If you can write a good one, and I think you can, show up at forums.drabblecast.org, look for the TwitFix section, and post away. You might be next week's winner. Follow the Drabblecast on Twitter, at the Drabblecast. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Special thanks to our kick-ass artist, Ruth Lowe. Ruth's an artist and art teacher. She lives in the northeast of England with her partner and a distressingly large number of possibly carnivorous houseplants. Find her artwork at ruthlow.co.uk. The Travelcast is produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means you can share it all you like, just don't charge for it, don't change it, and don't sell it. If you enjoy our show, remember Drabblecast runs off the generous support of listeners like yourself. Find donation options off our website at Drabblecast.org. We greatly appreciate it. And if you sign up for an automatic $10 a month subscription, you're not only helping the Drabblecast out, you get access to Drabblecast B-Sides, our other bonus content feed, where this week we're running a hilarious story called War of the Clowns by Mia Koto. You don't want to miss it. Go to Drabblecast.org, sign up for an automatic $10 a month subscription, awesome deal, and check your email for passwords and codes. Our program this week was brought to you by Chief Editor Nathan Lee, our art director, Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you, look, it's going to be totally awesome. You just wait. heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy, but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled, or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.